Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. More than 40,000 advisors rely on FMG Suite to help them stay connected, build relationships, and grow their business. Now it's your turn. Visit us at fmgsuite.com to schedule a demo so you can see our tools in action. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Christina Cuprina, who's the founder of Sequoia Wealth Management and Investment Advisors based in San Jose, California. In May of this year, Christina was named to the Forbes Top 1000 Female Advisors list. Christina and I are going to have a wide-ranging discussion about marketing during a pandemic because it's been anything but business as usual since March. Christina's office is based in San Jose, California, and it happens to be right across the street from Zoom. So coincidentally, she equipped her office with Zoom equipment several months before Zoom meetings became a way of doing business. Christina also has been doing more and more with video, which I'm certain you'll find interesting. She says she can't write worth a darn, but she sure is comfortable in front of a camera. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Spread the word. Hi, Christina. Hi, Mike. So, but Christina, before we get started, before we kind of dive into how you've morphed your practice a bit to address the pandemic and communications, give uh, give the listeners an idea about your firm and kind of a high level profile of the clients you work with. Uh, sure. Uh, so we're based in we're in California. Uh, our firms are we're throughout California, northern and southern. Our headquarters are in San Jose, Silicon Valley. We specialize in financial planning, and we have a, a wide breadth of services we provide in that space. And we, in fact, so wide that we have a menu that we give to our clients and prospects so they can choose what it is they're most interested in. And we also do traditional investment management and other specialty type work. Uh, the firm was founded in 2007 with the concept of creating a better financial services firm where clients could choose the services they want and pay accordingly is a concept. And we've grown quite a bit since then. Uh, we seem to be growing every year. And believe it or not, a new advisor and a new hire happened in the midst of COVID. Golly, so that's great to hear. Going that direction is, is the, what we're doing seems to be working and working well. Gosh, you started in 2007. A couple of years later, you got the, um, uh, the, the, the housing crisis. So, so you were all set for this, uh, th- this, this turn of events. Yes, and I've been doing this for a long time myself. This is pretty much my life's work. I'm 51 years old. Um, and I'm, as an economist, as my background, I pay very close attention to data, which has served both me and my clients well. It's actually something that's so fun and fascinating for me. I would do it even if it wasn't my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that analytical side. Uh, well, Christina, let's do this. Let's take about the next 20, 30 minutes or so talking about how your marketing and communication strategy changed with COVID. I, I want to focus on the strategic areas first and then kind of segue into more of the tactical. Uh, it, what what I want st- to talk about first is what when, when this all started, 
uh, and it seems like so long ago, yet it seems almost like yesterday. What did your clients need and want from you then? What 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 were what what did you what did the firm sense that uh, that the majority of your clients were looking for? Uh, most of, primarily financial planning. It's the age-old question: is Is there do I have any blind spots? Is there anything else I should be doing? Do I have enough money? Right. And, 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 and then especially in Silicon Valley, I know we have a concentration with technology clients, but not entirely. So the question is very much the same with technology clients. It's very much how much of my stock should I have? You know, how do I diversify out without taxes? That's why right. it's a more complicated strategy. But many of the traditional questions, but were, many were put off by your traditional financial advisors or financial services firms because they don't like the sales pitch. They didn't necessarily understand the value. Right. Uh, a big part of it. And so our story was different. Um, another piece I want to add to us, we also connect very well uh, to people that are kind of have this grand life vision. Uh, so we, we gotcha. talk about that later. We have a whole structure around financial consciousness and it's been uh, quite popular and, gotcha. and, and, and whatnot. So the kind of little prong to that as well. Yeah. I guess the, uh, the area most people felt it throughout March was they watched their portfolios get, cutting about a third uh were you were you did uh how were your clients reacting to that were they would did they feel like they were well prepared for it or did, did they have a lot of questions i i always think you know i asked that question because you know people 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 have an understanding of risk but then when their portfolio goes down 20 percent, they go oh boy i didn't know risk was that risk it's uh, one thing I've always done, um, even before technology is widely used, is I always try to show people the ride before they get on the bus. Ah. So rather than doing something like saying, you know, oh, are, are you aggressive or conservative or moderate, you know, that questionnaire, I actually, based on how they answer questions, I actually have to show them their actual portfolio value and what it might look like mm. if, I'm, if I'm unable to get ahead of it. Because sure. there's three things, and I've been telling my clients this for years, and you will have a laugh at this because I've said it so many times, but you will laugh at this. So I'll be quick. I say to the clients, there are three things that can cause a recession traditionally. There's, you know, the tradition, I go through the whole process, I go through the excess in the system, like 2000 and 2008, those things, and, you know, traditional economic cycles, which are preceded by deteriorating economic data. Those two things I can see coming as an economist and I can prepare you for. But I always have told them there's always that one-off shock event that nobody can see coming. Nobody can see coming. A terrorist attack, this is really literally what I told them, a terrorist attack, or a pandemic. So <laughs> that was my joke thing to throw out there. As I said, and everybody gets really sick. I would say that, and I was kind of like doing the whole play on, you know, a big outbreak or something like that. Sure. Uh, and so I said that is the, the third example of the thing I can't see coming, you know, not a terrorist attack, 9-11 and a pandemic. And so when this actually happened, my clients were really understanding because they're like, oh yeah, that's that pandemic thing you were talking about. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> kidding of course but they were sort of serious like you, you knew about this I said, yeah and um and here's here's what we're going to do about it like i had a plan for it uh during that time but to go back to the ride before they get on the bus is pre i used to take the value of their portfolio and write out in numbers what it would look like if it dropped by 40 percent after the financial crisis i would actually do the same thing just take it down by 50 percent sure so when people thought they were such growthy people when they saw that number that one million at five hundred thousand i said can you accept that can you wake up in the morning, log in your account, and accept that number? And, it, and I'd look in their eyes. And if they didn't look like they could accept that number, I said, we are not going to growth. We're going to back off. Now we have tools like Riskalyze, 
which sure. is even more in-depth and really can take them that. But that helped a lot. Not a single client cashed out during that time. Not a single client cashed out. And that is a lot to say with communication in advance of the event. In advance of that is telling people, making sure they're properly aligned. But also the financial planning helps significantly because we talked about what happens if this happens to their life goals, to what's sure. really important to them. Because their portfolio is a representation of well, can they do all the stuff they want to do? Can they take care of the people they love? Just a representation. It's nothing more. So when the portfolio declines in value, it's a risk to their view of life. During the, the COVID, beginning of COVID, it, it, people's lives were being ripped apart all across the board. It wasn't just a financial crisis. It was a health crisis. It was right. a social crisis. Their kids are pulled out of school. I mean, they can't go see their mom and dad. It's, it, was, it was so disruptive and so frightening to so many people that the portfolio was just one more thing that was freaking them out. Mm. So one of my conversations during that time with clients and I, you know, I knew how to reach out to, like most of us do first, right? Who's going to be most nervous was about the rest of their lives. My clients that are in nursing homes or assisted living, I mean, they're depressed, they're lonely. They can't even sure. talk to their neighbors. They're miserable. I mean, and we, we forget that sometimes. That's why I talk to them. I don't care about yeah. their portfolio. They care about the fact they're going to die alone. Um, so anyway, I want to share that because it was, it, the portfolio is a representation of everything else. And that was really what the conversations are around COVID. Right. Yeah, I talked to one. I have more questions, but I can expand on that as well. I, I, I was going to say I talked to one financial advisor who said, uh, just like you did, rather candidly, they said in, in 10 years, uh, people are going to remember the advisor that calls up and says, how are you? How's your family? Do you have everything you need? They're not going to remember the person that calls up and says, hey, now's a great time for a Roth conversion. Yep. And that's that's the, the questions. The fear is. The, not the portfolio, the, the fear is what the portfolio can represent. And in a time when um, Americans have never experienced this, and it was the, it was the now going on, it's the idea the government can shut it down. You know, it's, it just never happened to people. So it's a COVID, but it's also, wait, they can shut down my business. Yeah. They can tell me I can't do business anymore, right? They can tell me that I can't travel anymore. They, these, these are things that Americans are not used to being told they can't do stuff. So there was a lot of freak out around that. Like, what else are they going to tell me I can't do? Sure. Some, the other side, it's it's the fear of, you know, if I step outside the door, I'm going to die. <laughs> really, think that. They're that afraid sure. of everything because they watch far too much news, which is designed to keep everybody freaked out 24-7. And they're that way. So talking to me was just calming the fears about everything else in life. It, the portfolio, again, was just a part of it. So that's why if you have that conversation in advance about the ride before you get on the bus, and then when that ride happens, you can say, hey, we had this conversation, and you said that was okay. What else is going on? Sure. Oh, yeah, my God. Interesting. I, can't, I don't know how I can homeschool my kids. I don't remember how to do algebra. What the heck? Is, <laughs> oh, boy. It's never going to get into college now. <laughs> no, this, this is scary stuff for people. This is really, really scary stuff. So I wanted to bring that up because – that's like the other gentleman you talked to. That's what we are doing during these times. They don't give a rat's behind about my strategy for their portfolio. That's the least of their concerns. I do want to make sure I'm not going to lose all their money, but there it's everything else in life. So the communication, which ties into everything that you're doing, the work that you are doing at FMG, that is, that's key is how we reach people and reach them how they want to be reached. 
All right, I think we've got a good feel about that. I wanted to touch, I, I think, the psychology just about how people were handling that and how they were going through it. I want to let's put, switch over to the tactical because I think this is uh, this is an ongoing issue that's going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Um, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, how often you communicated with clients during May and April. And how, how, how is it, is it, is it staying the same today? Have you geared it down a little bit? Give us a, give us an idea of your playbook on communication with clients. Uh, this is um, kind of what we were saying earlier. Well, saying earlier is that this is an odd thing. I have a, a pretty uh, strong spiritual metaphysical practice and I've learned to very much trust guidance that comes to me. And this, I'm not a marketing person at all, but I was getting a very strong guidance and the, last year, last year, and especially the beginning of this year, that I needed to really step up my digital marketing footprint. For a firm located in Silicon Valley with a very large tech client base, including executives at many of the FANGs, um, you would think I was more on to technology or use, using technology than I am. In fact, I don't even have a personal Facebook page, Twitter, any of the likes of that, um, only now set up uh, for business purposes. Sure. I don't use it. I don't do it. I, and, and the little time I'm not in front of my computers working, I just want to be in nature. So to, to start going into the space of setting up to be able to do more digital marketing um, and digital communications with clients and like that was just trusting my intuition and the guidance that I was receiving. And so we um, started working with the virtual marketing and started setting that up. But the big thing that I think really impacted the switch over and the ability to switch very quickly during the COVID time, we continue to enhance that was um, kind of the, the clear message that I, I need to work with Zoom and get yeah. set up. Now, Zoom is our next door neighbor. They're in the high rise next to us. So this was a very easy thing to do. So with my team, I pointed out the window and I said, go talk to those Zoom people and let's figure out how to use their systems. And my reason, my rational reason for doing it was we do a lot of client events, live client events, you know, wineries and that kind of thing. But they're really expensive to put together. They're a pain in the butt with compliance. Um, and it's just, it, and, you know, getting all the time in a location everybody can get to is hard. So sure. we we're trying to figure out what else can we do. And I was thinking I'll do quarterly webinars on a topic of, of interest. Right. And so the Zoom people were really cool. They came out, they showed us how to use it, even me. And it was it was fun. And my team was on it. How do we do webinars? How do we do this? Client meetings. And I sent it all the clients and clients were kind of like, whatever, we want to come see you in person. I thought they'd just like not being in Silicon Valley traffic and love to do Zoom meetings. But most for the most part, nobody really cared. And then COVID hit. So I was like, cool. <laughs> we already all right. how to do this stuff. And here we are. We're in this. The market's in free fall. The world is ending. The government is locking us all down. I'm trying to figure out how to run a firm. Thankfully, I have a brilliant CFO and a brilliant COO uh, that uh, helped work with me. We, we Within two hours, we had everything remote, zero disruption to our business. But now, how do I communicate with my clients? They can't come in the office anymore. Right. Then, right? How do I communicate? How do I talk to them at a time when they're scared out of their wits? Because the world as they know it is ending. And then Zoom. So basically, my uh, team rescheduled all of our meetings to Zoom meetings. I was talking to Zoom, and I said, get me on. We're going to do webinars. Tell everybody. Every two weeks, I'm going to do updates on the economy as long as this is going on. Okay? Which at the time was supposed to be three weeks, right? <laughs> keep, doing these webinars, keep doing these webinars. Keep doing these webinars. And I can reach all my clients because this will limit the number of people calling me in a panic because it would have hurt it. And sure. The way of communicating to the people that don't call me but are still scared, right? And I don't know to reach out to them because I have a lot of clients and I want to make sure I'm talk talking to them. 
And so did the first webinar and I love talking on the economy. I don't need notes. I don't need anything. I just memorize the numbers and I go for it and I can easily talk for an hour. Did that uh, 50 minutes talk then Q&A. Got more Q&As than I could do in an hour, but it was really widely attended. Hundreds and hundreds of people showed up for this thing. I was even surprised. Did it two weeks later and it was keep updates. COVID in the economy, COVID in the economy, COVID in the economy, and, and, and the attendance was widespread. Not only that, people were passing the recordings on to people that I had never heard from of. Uh-huh. And these people started reaching out to me like, ah, oh, so-and-so sent me the recording webinar. Oh my gosh, this is really great stuff. I'd love to talk to you. So we, I started getting, realizing this was a marketing tool. It was beyond just communication with my clients. This was actually getting out there in the world because I didn't know who these people were. And what they appreciated was the fact it's nonpartisan. I have no agenda. I have I tell it like I see it and I back it up with data. So I take ownership for what I say, but I can also tell people where I got the data from so they can look it up for themselves in case they don't agree with me. And I can navigate the political landscape with not offending just about everybody. So it's. it's and that's it's, and, it's, that, it's, and that's boy, if you and can bottle also, if you can bottle that, you can sell that, too. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I've done enough talks and I've been through enough political cycles that I'm, I'm used to it and especially in this environment uh, the other thing is is that even when i'm talking about some really difficult and scary and and in and, and negative things I, I i i finish with optimism i feel mm-hmm. positivity and and people say when they they listen to these webinars they feel better so i bring this up because it seems to be something i'm really good at it is a, a much better than writing and all the rest of the stuff which stopped me from doing any kind of content for a long time and my clients like it because they, they feel connected to me. The webinar makes them feel connected to me and they can share it with their friends and family, which leads to more business. So the webinar is a great thing. And if you want to do it like I'm doing it, when you're doing just updates, you can make it really short. You don't have to go for an hour. If sure. it's me talking about the economy, I can easily do that for an hour every two weeks with no problems. Uh, but now what we're doing is there's not always a lot of economic updates is we're adding other things. The last one I did was on socially responsible and ESG investing. Sure. So I did an update on the economy, socially responsible investing, whole new crowd because all the nonprofits sent it out to their people. Next week, or sorry, this week, uh, tomorrow, we're doing one on financial planning. Um, I'm doing ideas for other advisors as well. So it's going to be, it's going to be update on the economy in the COVID era and financial planning in the era of COVID, sorry, update on the economy and financial planning in the era of COVID, talking about things from the SECURE Act and the CARES Act. And, you know, they can, you know, people even know these things are going on because they don't. they're so right. COVID out that they don't actually know that they don't have to take RMDs. Well, they, they hear the SECURE Act, the CARES Act, the PPP program, regulation by, they, they, the, there's so many new things coming at them. They're, they're quite overwhelmed about it. Yep. And they don't even know. So, I mean, we were proactive in telling our clients, hey, do you want to take your RMDs this year? But the general public doesn't know. And, you know, they and they they, they may want to plan differently. We're doing one. Um, we don't have it finally named yet, but I'm just for fun calling it Kids and Money. But it's designed for teens and 20-somethings. Sure. To understand. And it's not boring and it's not how to invest. It's about you want to maintain your freedom as a young adult. Figure out how money works. Because the fastest way to lose your freedom is not know how it works. Right. Especially around credit and around debt and things like that. Um, so we're doing that. And the par- oh my gosh, my clients! Not only are they they're sending it out to their parents and some of the a couple of the um, private home base or uh, school, they want to actually have the students be on it. They want a copy of it to use for financial literacy classes. Awesome. So cool. So again, outreach. Um, I don't get all the different things, but find I would say find topics that 
would interest a targeted audience and a wide audience and then merge them together and do webinars on them is cool or just target certain areas because then you can send them through compliance so for, for post use and post them on your website and your social media so they can reach an even wider audience. That was going to be my next question. Uh, how do you work these through compliance? Um, I, I've been doing this long enough. I know pretty much what I can say and not say. And so far, I'm really surprised because I will answer questions in the Q&A right. live. I mean live, which means any question that comes to me, I will answer. I, am, I will shy away from nothing. So I had one on cryptocurrency. And I thought, well, I promised to answer a question, so I'm going to answer it. And compliance is going to not like this one. But I answered it in such a way that they actually let it through. I was stunned. They didn't edit it or make me not do it. So I, I would say that we've been very successful. We haven't had anyone not be allowed to submit, you know, post. Uh, so, so the sequence of, so you, are you, are you, you're recording these and then sending them to compliance and then airing them live or what's the sequence? How do, how do you actually, what's the tactical part of this? Um, in advance, um, we, you know, I send a generalized idea of what I'm going to talk about to sure. my compliance. And of course, the name of the event, the day of the webinar is live. And at the very beginning of the webinar, like when people are logging in in the beginning for a few seconds, I have the disclaimer, you know, the Sequoia, the name of the event, the, all the, the compliance regulatory. So I share that screen with that on it for like, you know, a few seconds. So we've disclosed whatever we have to disclose. Sure. I flip it over to the camera. And I do it live. So everybody that's there live can type in their questions. People also can send questions in advance. So if sure. they're not to attend the live, they want me to answer the question for later. I'll do it. So I have the list of questions. I do that live. And then anyone who's on the webinar gets it automatically 24 hours. Anyone who registers, not gotcha. who shows up, registers, gets it 24 hours later and they disseminate it. And then it also gets submitted to compliance. When compliance approves, then we can use it on other social media or send it out to people that didn't register. Ah, so it's so it's compliance treats it as a public appearance, and then uh, once they approve it, you're allowed more broad use. Yes, which is good because the problem I had with before doing things like this is by the time, if you do an update on the economy, by the time it gets approved by compliance and sent out, it's kind of already getting stale. Uh, yes. So, yeah, yeah. The, the, the webinars is a way of getting around that, so you can be really live and and not have to deal with compliance, just as long as you put that regulatory disclosure up. And I want sure. to say this is my experience with the people I'm working with, so I'm by no means a compliance expert. So, so the other, you know, people could have different experiences, but, you know, working with the system we do, it seems to be working well. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and in my role at FMG is I'm the the compliance specialist, and as I talk to compliance offices, uh, they've been become very flexible. They know the constraints the reps are under. Uh, they know that uh, uh, more stuff is being pushed to Zoom conferences or any type of video conference. And um, yeah, as I've talked to them, they've been uh, they've been writing rules and creating rules as quickly as the demand comes up. So. Um, there, you know, I'm, I'm not, you're with LPL and LPL uh, has been, uh, I work with them on a weekly basis and they've been very progressive with how they uh, are adapting rules to help reps communicate during this time. Yeah, I've been really, I mean, we, as I said, we had, uh, we are blessed that we have something that many firms don't have is that um, we have a, a dedicated CFO who does not, he's registered, but does not have a book of business or clients that runs the true business side, the financial side. Uh, whatnot. And then we have a COO that we we hired away from LPL, actually, 
uh, who's brilliant at the compliance and operational side, but he used to uh, be a manager and an advisor himself. So he also has a really great advisor communications. He's not a cold hearted compliance person. <laughs> hey, wait he, a second there. Wait know, a second. Right? He's not like a cold hearted <laughs> compliance person either. So we're, we're good there. Um, but the, having those resources means that I can really focus on the stuff that I'm good at and I don't have to be an expert at everything because I, I clearly, I lack a lot of the detailed knowledge, but having that working with uh, the systems within LPL, I've been very impressed with the way that they're doing everything to be CMO. I can send them all sorts of my crazy ideas and they will actually not just tell me I can do it or I can't do it. They'll actually make it happen, which is really impressive. And I rarely am told no. Another thing I wanted just to add to that is I can speak well. I can do live events really well, webinars well, no problems with that. I cannot write well. That has been a big logjam for me in communication with clients is I am not a good writer and I, I don't have the patience to sit and think and write things out. It just flows better through my mouth than through my hands or my fingers. Uh, so I hired a ghostwriter and I interviewed a number of them and I had to get someone that gets the metaphysical spiritual side and terminology I use and the way I see things and my strong belief that I'm in service to people. That is what I'm doing. I'm in service and it's from the heart. And I needed someone that got that because if they didn't get it, they weren't going to capture the essence of what I was saying and talking about. Sure. And I found this person and I cannot stress enough for the advisors that are not you know, gifted with the skill of writing to find a ghostwriter and put the effort into finding someone that really gets you because that's been very helpful with some other marketing that we've been doing in the community, um, which is weekly going out in our local papers. And of course now after Ghost of Compliance, it will be posted on our social as well. Sure. And that's where areas where I can talk more about financial consciousness. I just did one, went out yesterday that was on wealth versus prosperity. The previous one was on the metamorphosis of humanity around COVID. Okay. And it sounds, uh oh, really woohoo? No, it wasn't. It all tied into the, fin the, the transformation happening within people's lives and the effect this is having. Sure. And captured a lot of response just in a print newspaper. Wait till it goes, and, and of course, digitally as well. Wait, I'm, I'm see what happens when we start posting it with other organizations. Gotcha. Um, so I want to bring this up because if, if this, the thing that had me shying away from it, this kind of marketing stuff was so much about where my, I was focused on what, what I wasn't good at and not what I was good at. And, and you can always find people to help you where you're not good. So for an advisor who's not comfortable in front of a camera, and even with a lot of practice is still not, it's still not happening for them. Right write and, and, and post that content and have somebody else on your team, if, if appropriate, do the, the video conference and post that content to your social media and to your clients on a regular basis. Because anything that's written in your hand or said from your voice has tremendous power, even if it's not as smart, is the stuff that's canned. It's not, if it comes from you and it's authentic, it will capture your clients' hearts and minds. Yeah, what, and what we at FMG always tell people is that to use uh, FMG's material to augment the material that you're putting together. So yeah. if you if you if you um, FM, FMG through one of uh, through the Marketing Pro uh, brand, we put out a monthly video script. And for the rep that doesn't know how to perform in front of a camera or is a little uncomfortable with that, there's a video script that they can read. It summarizes the market activity. It's about two minutes, 
It's a great little script. Compliance has reviewed it. We also put out a weekly piece on the market activity, and we strongly suggest you use that in conjunction with putting to get material together yourself. And it sounds like uh, sounds like you've got you've got a nice uh, little mix going here, Christina. Yeah, and you bring up Mike. That's good. You bring up something I didn't, which is this kind of podcast where maybe someone's very comfortable speaking but doesn't feel comfortable in front of a camera. This is a great thing. See, because right now, all I didn't have any live meetings. It was all phone today. And so literally, I'm sitting here with my hair tied on top of my head, no makeup on, and I'm wearing a hallucinogenic mushroom t-shirt. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so probably not the thing that I want to present to my clients when I do my next economic outlook. <laughs> but there you go. So, you know, in this environment, we can be, you know, we can do a lot of different things that we couldn't do as easily when everybody came in our office. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, as I looked at your site and then I looked, uh, followed some of the links in the Facebook, it really seems as if the uh, the video has really helped transform your business quite a bit. Uh, the, some of the topics that you have and some of the ones that you proposed. Um, and I think the uh, what you mentioned is is very important for advisors to understand that the the law of unintended consequences when you start to create marketing material and share it is is extremely powerful and uh it's uh, and the um uh other the other reps that aren't communicating as well are going to be the ones that lose customers to the reps that do communicate well i can i can i can attest to that i can attest that but years ago i worked for a wirehouse before my uh, time in sequoia and lpl and i i was during the dot-com crash and i will never forget watching the other advisors and not wanting to take their clients calls because they, you know the admin pool was in the middle and the offices were on the periphery and you know so and so say hey joe so and so's on the line you want to talk to you about their portfolio no i don't want to take the call oh this is the time you got to talk to your people this this is the time i knew it i knew it i and so i had a very different uh, take on it so when the financial crisis hit guess what i did i called everybody else's clients <laughs> you know what? It was my biggest growth year ever, as as, a, as far as a percentage, because obviously I was much I was smaller back then. Sure. Because uh, it was like, because you know, this, the hard part is calling your own clients; they're nervous, right? The easy part is calling someone else's clients. That gets yeah. really fun. It's like the reward. It's like you know the 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 drink at the end of the day or whatever. It was kind of like the little treat. Right. Right. Oh, it's but good stuff. Up important point of, of not going at it on your own and working with trained professionals that know marketing, not only know the regulatory aspects to keep you out of trouble, but as we've seen in many high profile cases, it just takes a few mistakes that you may not even realize you're making to all of a sudden have your marketing turn against you. And there are just, this is the environment, uh, we can like it or dislike it or agree with or disagree with it, of a culture in which you are judged very quickly. And so is your entire firm on the smallest things and how people sure. interpret it. So to have someone else looking at what you're doing and giving you that, you know, not trying to change your mind necessarily, but giving you a kind of other viewpoint, I think is really, really important because we've seen um, really good businesses go down because of, you know, ill-advised comments, non-intentional that were interpreted in a way that was harmful to the organization. Right. So we, you know, that having someone who knows their stuff is really important. Yeah, it gets uh, it gets back to that uh, being uh, being able to um, talk uh, in the middle, 
being able to talk in that gray space where uh, where where no one reads something into what you're saying. Uh, Christina, uh, let's spend the last couple of minutes we have here on the podcast. I, 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 I see that you've set up the Sequoia Charitable Foundation, and I, I want to spend some time talking about that because I know a lot of financial advisors are interested in doing charitable foundations, but they don't really know where to start or how to get going. Can you give us a, a background about how, how it started with you and where it is now? Yeah, it actually has been maybe, maybe interesting is that I set it up with an intention of doing something that after I had gone through all the effort of setting it up, uh, compliance told me no. So <laughs> it's sort of there at this point, but there's a reason for it is it's inspirational. At this uh-huh. The reason being is that I can't oversee a charity that uh, I don't recall that I founded. Uh, I don't remember. There's something like a gazillion different compliance related rules on sure. outside activities that limited to the original vision, but it's in place so it can be activated. But here's what's really, really helped a a lot, how I've used it. So the original idea was a way of uh, putting money aside that could be donated, you know, to organizations that Sequoia was supporting and be a big part of um, giving. Giving is a big part of my four-legged stool of life. And I wanted to find a way of just us directly controlling that. So it's set for the future of doing that. Right now, though, how it's very powerful is is being able to work with other nonprofit organizations uh, on a way that's all nonprofit to be able to do work like financial literacy, to be able to donate my time pro bono, to being able to track and run things not through Sequoia Wealth Advisors, which can be seen as marketing of the firm, but through Sequoia Charity Foundation, which is all benevolent work. So, for example, I do uh, financial literacy classes, especially to, to low-income you know, groups, neighborhoods, schools, and et cetera. I can do that work, and I'm obviously volunteering my time, and I'm obviously not there soliciting for clients, but there can be that clarity which allows us to get the exposure um, that I, I wouldn't get if I was coming off Sequoia Wealth Advisors. Sure. It is all altruistic. I said it's, it's that way of doing it. So it was a really way of doing and volunteering a tremendous amount of time to help a lot, help nonprofits set themselves up, to uh, give uh, workspace uh, wellness, uh, financial wellness, sorry, financial wellness talks. We do that a lot for even some large companies. So a lot of things we do is just kind of through that. So it almost became a way more of just doing activity through an entity and a financial. However, that will change in the not too distant future because that's a part of Sequoia's long-term succession plan is is, um, funding that in a very meaningful way. Gotcha. And I wanted to add, though, just I know you don't have a lot of time, but with on the charity sure. side, something that's worked well with us is doing pro bono stock clearing for organizations. And that's a really great thing to be able to do. Yes, it, you know, if you set up the account, it does cost you some money, but it, a, a lot of charities really don't have a lot of financial sophistication. And to be able to come in and help them, and it gives you, it gets you access to a lot of people. And so, for an example, the XYZ nonprofit needs uh, to have, needs some help with clearing stock, you know, that donated stock, needs some help with talking to donors about effective ways, efficient ways to donate, but they, they don't have the skills or the knowledge or even the, you know, technically licensing to even build advice. Sure. You can step in and help XYZ nonprofit. It's wonderful because you say, I would love to have an opportunity to meet with your board and point out what other nonprofits are doing successfully in uh, fundraising in donations and, uh, you know, being part of people's, uh, you know, uh, estate planning and whatnot. 
and they, oh my gosh, we'd love to have you come out and talk to our, you know, our, our team, you know, be their community outreach or whatnot. So you get start getting in front of a lot of people in a very way of supporting the organization. And that can very well lead to a lot of growth that way. Yep. And it's also really cool. The only thing I will add to that is don't do it for charities you don't like or support. They can smell it a mile away. It's not worth the effort. You really <laughs> have to be, it has to be from the heart. You have to look at it and go, yeah, I really believe in what you guys are doing. Gotcha. Yeah, I think the uh, the whole concept of uh, being an, a knowledge source, um, where you've worked with a variety of charities, where those charities may have, may have a very limited set of knowledge, it, uh, it it can go a long way. And it's 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 a true give. It's one of those things where yes, you can build business from it, and it's likely you will if you do it properly. But you're giving, and you're giving in a way that others can't. And you can also, with the permission of that charity, you can also, as we do, we have charities we support. And as you can see, it's quite a wide group of them from, you know, the Second Harvest Food Bank to MAPS, right? So quite a variety of different types of nonprofits out there that we work with and, and, and advise. And that's kind of nice because with your, when you meet with your clients or with new clients and you do, as we do, that kind of philanthropy checklist or that charitable checklist, like what organizations do they support? What causes do they support? Because we like to include that in their financial planning. And they say, oh, I really love to support this organization. Oh, I work with that organization. Oh, that's great. Or you learn someone really is worried about hunger and the community is a major issue. And you say, I'd love to introduce you to the executive director of the Second Harvest Food Bank. Because there's a lot of great good th- good things are doing the community, especially during this time of COVID. The demand for food is so great right now, and they love the opportunity to be introduced to the executive director. And of course, the executive director loves the opportunity to be introduced to them. Sure, sure. And and you're the one that made that happen. Right. Anyway, right. I could talk about this stuff forever. This is the fun part of our businesses. Uh, well, it 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 shows because you you speak with a lot of passion on it, Christina. Um, so, the uh, but uh, let's wrap up today's uh, podcast. Uh, Christina, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I think uh, you know certainly learning. And uh, if if, if uh, Christina's website is at sequoiawa.com. SequoiaWA.com. I, I'd encourage uh, anybody who's listening to pop over to the website, if nothing else, to go into the uh, and see how Christina has put these videos together. Um, it, it's uh, it really. I, I watched a couple yesterday. It's a uh, it's great stuff. Um, so, Christina, thanks for taking some time out of your day with us today. We re- greatly appreciate it. Oh, you're most welcome. And if you are um, in the future, if you want to delve into any of these or other topics in more depth. I'm more than happy to share because years ago as I was beginning my career, people shared with me and I grew their knowledge and made it my own. And hopefully others can take some from this and make it their own for their great success in the future. Awesome. Good stuff. Christina, thanks so much. Thanks everybody for listening. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Market Emotion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.